9 and 3 or 8 and 4 is what they teach them. And remember how we were taught to, you know, turn like this? They don't do that any longer. That's bad. Now you, now you turn like this and this way. And uh, so, oh, keep your lights on. There's so many things that are different for me, and I don't like it because it's different. But, yeah, don't let your license, because otherwise you'd have to know this stuff, right? Well, there it is. Anyway, so it's, that's the big thing. And she actually started uh, classes. We put her in classes um, in, uh, for ODOT classes, which are really good for her. And then she's going to be going out with, a, with an instructor to drive. And uh, just so though that you know, I'm the one that takes Chelsea out driving. Linda, it does not. That's just not her thing until Chelsea is well-established, and that's the way that it works. That's, that's a good partnership kind of marriage, right? When we know and understand what we can and cannot do. So if you see us driving around and I'm in the uh, passenger seat, you can wave and say, oh, be praying for Chelsea, for me as well. But uh, <laughs> actually, like I said, she's doing very, very well, and so it's, it's not bad. Now, Jason actually got his license at age 14. In Idaho, you could do that. He was the last class in Idaho to actually get his driver's license at age 14. Really ticked his brother off because his brother's two years younger. He had to wait till 16. By that time, Jason had already been driving four years. But uh, that was scary. Chelsea, not too bad. Hey, we are right now in the middle of a series called Are You Ready? And we're doing this series because several times in the Bible, the, the, the Bible specifically says to be ready. And we're going to be looking at four of these times that the Bible says to be ready. We started last week right here. Are you ready for his coming? Because the scripture tells us to be ready for his coming. Jesus talks about his second coming several times throughout in several different occasions. And nobody really knows quite when it's going to happen. Even Jesus wasn't quite sure. But this is what he said as he's talking about his coming. He said this. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. In other words, you don't really know when something like that's going to happen. Well, guess what? You don't even know when Jesus is going to happen. You also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Which means... If everybody says it's going to be this time, we can guarantee that's not the time. Guaranteed. Because Jesus said he'll come when you don't expect him. If everybody, if the church got together and said, you know what, we've decided this is the day I can guarantee you that's not the day. Because Jesus said it. He's going to come when we don't expect him. So you have to what? Be ready. And we don't know much about his return, but we do know these two things. This is kind of from last week. We're going to recap a little bit. He is coming back. That is certain. He is coming back. And he will come as Savior and as judge as well. In other words, he's going to take a look at each one of us. And he's going to determine, remember, he separates the people like the sheep from the goats. And we talked about that a little bit. And so we have to be ready for his coming. And here's how we are ready. These are the couple things we need to do to be ready if you weren't there for this last. By the way, this week, that last Sunday, will be on the, the Internet. And all of these will be on the Internet for years to come. You can go back three or four years and hear all the sermons from three or four years ago. But anyway, this week, this last week will be on there. This week's will be on there. Here's the two things you need to do. First of all, you have to become a Christ follower through faith in Jesus. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you are not ready for his coming. If you don't know him, what's going to happen is at the very end, he's going to look at you as he said he would and say, get away from me, get away from me because I never knew you. Wow. And the unfortunate thing is he talks about people who've actually worked for God. There are some people in the church, perhaps, 
who've been doing all the right things, so they think going to church, giving the money, reading their Bible, but they never really knew Jesus. And they're going to say, but, but I went to church all those years, and Jesus said, I, it doesn't matter. I, I don't know who you are. You never wanted me really in your life. I don't know who you are. How do you become a Christ follower? Well, remember this, you become a brat. You remember brat? Anybody? Did you think about this this week at all? I want you to become a brat. It means believe, repent, accept, and trust. That's what you do. This is how we get to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe, repent, accept. Say those four things with me. Ready? Believe, repent, accept, and trust. You have to believe that there is a God and believe that Jesus Christ has come for us. If you don't believe that, you're never going to know him because there's no point in knowing him. But then you have to repent. Remember what repent means? It means to turn. That's all it means. It means I'm going the wrong direction. I'm going my direction. I need to turn and go a different direction. And then we're talking about accept. We have to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. We have to accept the fact that we can't do it on our own and accept his righteousness and his love and accept the fact that he died for us and then trust. For the rest of my life, I trust in him. I never, ever again trust in my own goodness and my own actions. I can work for God for 80 years. I can give millions of dollars. I can spend thousands and tens of thousands of years sharing the gospel. I can lead a huge church. I can lead lots of people to the Lord Jesus Christ. But when I get up there one day, and he says, why should I let you into heaven? None of that will matter. There's only one reason, Lord. Because I trust Jesus Christ. I'm not worthy no matter what I've done. I will never be worthy. I will never earn it. I can't earn it. I don't trust in my goodness. I don't trust in anything I've done. I trust in one thing and one thing only. Your son died for me, and I've received him, and that's all I can tell you. And the father would look and say, that's the answer. Come on in. Simple. So I hope today that you are a brat for Jesus. The second thing we had to do to get ready for his coming after getting to know him is this. Have something to show for his trust in me. Remember he told the parable about the master who went away, but he entrusted talents, monies, and things like this to his servants, each according to their ability. When he came back, he said to those servants, okay, what'd you do with it? And many of them took the talents and the things that he'd given and had actually increased them. One individual was afraid. One individual took the easy road. One individual took everything that they'd been given and they buried it in the backyard and then dug it up and brought back exactly what the master had given and said, here you go, you didn't lose a thing. And the master was not happy. God has entrusted us with so much grace and mercy, forgiveness, resources, time and talents. And he expects us to invest them to help them grow. There's really only one reason that we're here and it isn't just to wait for his return. It's because he's in the process of growing his kingdom through us. Somebody told you about Jesus Christ, otherwise you wouldn't have known. And now it's our turn to tell somebody else about Jesus. As a matter of fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to get ready to be ready for our Jesus story. That's the third thing that Jesus tells us to be ready for, to be able to tell our Jesus story. That'll be in two weeks. We'll see you then. What happens now is that God says, look, I've given you all of this, but I didn't give it to you for you. I gave it for you to invest in the people around you. Have I given you mercy? Spread it around. Have I given you grace and forgiveness? Give it away. Have I given you resources? How have you invested those? Is there a return? There should be. 
The only people that perhaps could say that there is very little return would be those who receive Jesus Christ on their deathbed. Don't wait that long. That's not worth the risk. The rest of us, well, it's, it's, there's two words that, that really describe a relationship with Jesus Christ. Come and go. Those two words. He says to all the broken, all the hurting, come. And what he does is he heals them, loves them, redeems them, and then what does he say to them? Go. Okay, that's it. Come, go. All of us have come. Now it's time for all of us to go. That's why we do this together. We come together as a church because we are stronger as a church to do this than we are as individuals. All right? So there we go. Now, the second thing that he says to be ready for, be ready for his coming. The second one is this, be ready to give generously. And here it is. Instantly, some of you went, well, it's another sermon on money. Yep, it is. Without apology. And some of you may be thinking, well, I know that the church is behind, and we are. It's been uh, usually this time of the year, we're behind several thousand dollars, and we are. We're behind about fifteen or sixteen thousand dollars. So we've had to dip into some resources, and we're trusting the Lord for all of this, and you know all of that. And so you're saying to yourself, well, that's why he's preaching this sermon, is because, of, you know, a month ago they realized they were behind, and he's going, well, let me tell you something about how I plan my, my sermons, all right? I generally plan my sermon series because I, I preach in a series, in case you hadn't noticed that. I usually plan them 6 to 12 months in advance. For instance, right now I am planning the sermon series for next June. All the sermon series between now and then are already planned out, which means I live in kind of this weird world because I am currently writing sermons while I am researching for the next couple of sermon series, while I am planning sermon series way out there. So I kind of live in that strange world as I'm walking around and driving. I'm, I'm, I'm writing, I'm researching, I'm planning. That's how I live, which means that this sermon here today was planned about six months ago. That's when I put it on the docket. And I've been researching all those months and finally writing this week. So it has nothing to do with the fact that, well, yeah, we're behind and how it's fine. No, this is just fitting into the sermon series. And by the way, we have a couple more when we get into the fall because in a few weeks we're going to start a whole sermon series called Getting Healthy. And we're going to look at financial health, but we're going to look at spiritual health and physical health and emotional health and relational health. But financial health, we're going to take a couple weeks and look at what the Bible has to say about being financially healthy. It's really important. Today we're just talking about being ready to give. All right. We have to be prepared to do this because if we're not prepared, if we don't really get ready, we probably won't do it. That's one of the things that gets in the way for many of us is we're not ready to give. Even if we want to, we're not ready. We haven't taken the steps to get ready to give. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth, in one of his letters, he wrote and said, look, we, we need to take an offering because there's some people that are really in need. And then he writes to them again and says, okay, now I'm going to come and I'm going to collect it. This is what he says. For I know your eagerness to help. I know you want to do it. And I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, in other words, other churches, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Okay, isn't that great? Man, I know you want to do it. But you haven't done it yet. He goes on to say this. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may, what? Be 
ready as I said you would be. I know you want to give. I know you want to give. But are you ready to give? Your desire is there. I think most of us would have a desire to give. But are you ready to give? Because if you're not ready, the desire is there, but you can't do it. You're not ready. Let me, um, let me give you five reasons why this is important and why we're taking the time here. And it has nothing to do with the church needs another $15,000 or something. Here are the five reasons right from the Word of God. Ready? We're into your sermon notes. Here we go. Five reasons why this is important. Number one, God in the Old Testament told me it's important. My father in the Old Testament let me know that giving back to him was important to him. It isn't just a church thing. It isn't just a New Testament thing. It isn't just a, a pastor thing. It's a God thing. He was a little upset with the nation of Israel at one time. And you read about this in the, in the book of, um, you might pronounce it Malachi, but it's actually Malachi. And he says this, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you in the tithes and offerings? I said, look, I expect that this is something that I'm asking you to do. God, our Father's already said, you know, giving is important. So important that if we don't, Scripture says it's kind of like robbing him. That's a pretty heavy-duty passage. So we're going to leave it right there because it speaks for itself. But I'll give you another reason, one of the, another of the five reasons why this is important, why we need to talk about being ready to give. Because Jesus told me it's important. Not just God in the Old Testament, but Jesus himself. And if Jesus himself tells me it's important, I better perk up my ears a little bit and maybe get rid of some of the cultural problems I have with giving in the church, always asking for money, and, and set that aside. And go, maybe this isn't about the church. Maybe this is something that Jesus is actually telling me. And if he's telling me, maybe I better listen to this one. Here's what Jesus said. Be generous. Give to the poor. Get yourself a bank that can't go bankrupt. A bank in heaven far from bank robbers. Safe from embezzlers. A bank you can bank on. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place where you most want to wind up being. In other words, you know, if you're going to hold on to your money, if you're going to hold it and hold it because your money is so important to you, you're going to wind up in a place you don't want to be. But can you let it go? Can you be generous? Can you actually take your hands off some of that and give it away generously? And you can because your heart isn't in your money. Your heart isn't in your possessions. Your heart isn't here in this world and in this culture. Your heart is someplace else. And the money and everything else is just what we do here. But our heart is there. Our treasure is there. But if your treasure is here, you won't be thinking about God. You won't be thinking about heaven because your heart is here. The number one topic that Jesus preached on was the kingdom of heaven. What's the number two topic that Jesus preached on? Money. Jesus preached about money more than he preached about heaven and hell combined. Did you know that? Did you know that in the book of Luke, one out of every seven verses, one out of every seven verses has to do with money? Isn't that interesting? Long before the church showed up and said, hey, give us your money, pass the plate, let's do that. Long before that, Jesus Christ spent so much time teaching his followers about money. Now, here's why. Are you ready? This is the third reason why this is important. If I get this wrong, it could destroy me. You know what hyperbole is? 
Hyperbole is that gross exaggeration. I've told you a thousand times what hyperbole means. That's hyperbole. This is not hyperbole. This is real. This is true. This isn't a statement just to shock us. Let me show you. Paul is writing to uh, his disciple Timothy about people in the church and about some of them who just can't let go of their money, some of them who just really put way too much emphasis on it. And he says, as people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. They were willing to listen when it came to salvation and forgiveness of sins and maybe they were gracious people and everything else and then the church began to say now let's talk about how you handle your money and your generosity and they said whoa it's none of your business I like what I buy and I'm going to buy what I'm going to buy I'm going to spend my money the way I'm going to spend my money because it's important to me and what does it say there I've wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You, you want to save yourself from that kind of... Let it go, guys. Learn to give. Learn to be generous. How about the fourth reason that this is really important? When I get it right, it will have a positive impact on my entire life. There's one thing that we could do. We could really focus in on all the things that God says He's going to do or might happen if we don't give and they're all negative and... And we could do that, and we've already touched on a couple. But you know what? What we really need to look at is this. What happens when I get it right? How many blessings does God have for me in my life when I learn to live the way He wants me to live? There's always a blessing that comes on with that because what my Father's trying to get for me is that abundant life, that life here and now that starts right now and it goes on for all eternity. And He's trying to show us now, look, here's how you can get it done. And one of the ways that you can get it done is by learning to be generous in your giving. Take a look at this passage. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. This is just after he's told them, be generous in giving. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Learn to be generous and watch the blessings of God flow. Now, we're not saying to you that if you give generously, he's going to make you a millionaire, and we completely reject the whole idea that says, name a figure of what you want to earn. You want to earn $100,000 a year? Start tithing. Give 10000 to the church, and he'll give you 100000 That's nonsense. There's nothing in Scripture to support that. But there's so much in Scripture that says, look, if we can trust God in this and honor him, if we can learn to be generous... There are blessings that God is going to bring into our lives that you can't even possibly imagine. Blessings that will not be there if we hold everything to ourselves. Take a look at this passage right here. Bring your full tithe into the temple treasury so there will be ample provisions in my temple. Test me and stop right there. Didn't Jesus say to Satan when he was being tempted... You shall not put the Lord to your God to test. Didn't he say that? Except when? Except when God says, you get to. One time, God says, you get to test me in this. I'm going to give you one opportunity to test me. Here it is. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessing beyond your wildest dream. 
But as long as you are like this, with all of your resources, as long as you hold it all to you, there's nothing I can do. There's no room to give you anything. You're all bound up by your love for the resources that you have, and you haven't learned to give generously. And when you don't give generously, you're like this, and there's nothing I can do. But when you give generously and you let it go, when you see your resources as simply there to help provide a living for yourself, but also to provide for so many things for the kingdom of God, when you can let it go and put it under his lordship, your hands are like this. What do you want from me? What do you got for me, Lord? There it is. But here's the biggest reason of all that we learn to give generously. Simply this. My generosity brings glory to God. Being generous brings glory to God. We always say to ourselves, you know, we want to bring glory to God. That's why we live. Let's, let's bring glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true. That's why we live. But guess what? Being generous does that. Generous churches bring glory to God. Generous people bring glory to God. Generous ministries bring glory to God. As Paul is, is writing to the church there at Corinth, and talking about the generosity, he says this, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, okay, there's, that's wonderful, okay, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So as we, we provide for the ministries, we provide for the people around us, we provide for God's church as we give, there's thanksgiving that goes up to God. And then he says this, because of the service by which you proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with him and with everyone else. Let me tell you about one of the most generous churches I've heard of. And this is the Saddleback Church. Are you familiar with the Saddleback Church, Rick Warren's church? I, I listen to four or five different preachers all throughout the week. I get to go over and work out a little bit and get my heart rate going so that I'm healthier, and we'll talk about that in the fall. And, but as I'm doing that, I'm listening to sermons, and one of the guys I love to listen to is Rick Warren, incredible uh, church in Saddleback. They actually had a vision years and years ago to bring the gospel to every nation, and they have done so. That one church has now sent missionaries to every single nation on the planet, all 207. There are 207 actual nations on the planet and they have there are now 3,000 tribes that have never heard the gospel 3,000 because all the nations have been preached to but there are now 3,000 tribes in the world that have never had the gospel preached and that have never had a bible translated it is their vision now to go to each one of those 3,000 and every year they raise millions of dollars to do that the generosity of God's people who are willing to go and do it. The generosity of a church that's willing to fund it. Just a couple of weeks, I'm going to tell you about the generosity of this church and what we do. We don't have time this morning. It's coming up in just a couple of weeks. But we give from this church 10% just to help the kingdom of God grow in the United States of America. 10% of what you give leaves this church. And it goes to help the kingdom. Right now, we're planting a church. The Oregon Conference of the Free Methodist Church is planting a church in Portland called Portland Cascade, and you are helping fund that. We are planting a church in McMinnville, and you are helping fund that. We are planting a church in um, Sherwood, and you are helping fund that. We are planting a church right there in the Gladstone area. And guess who's helping to fund that? You are. Because as you give, 
10% of what comes in, we give away. And then on top of that, we give about another $15,000 a year just to help support some missionaries. Give you more details in a few weeks because I want to introduce you. Right now, we're supporting three children. We support two pastors in India. We support an area called Malawi with money. Malawi is a country in Africa that many of you remember because I went to teach there a couple years ago. And we send money there every year to help the kingdom grow there. We're helping start Christian-based businesses around the world through seed. How many of you were here to hear Rose Brewer a couple weeks ago? Did you hear Rose? We provide about $500 a month to support them as they go around to help some of these widows in these other third world countries begin little businesses so they don't have to be reliant upon handouts. And we also support a that plants trees called Eden Reforestation. We're right now beginning to plant about 1,000 trees a month around the world to help creation care and to help villages whose water supply has been decimated because all the trees were cut down. All that from this little church. Yeah. I'd love to be even more generous. As the kingdom is growing, a couple weeks I'm going to show you all the places we touch. I'm going to introduce you to those three kids. We've got pictures for you. You're going to love them. A kid from Haiti, a little girl from Ecuador, and a little girl named uh, Princess Roble from the Philippines, I think it is. I've got their pictures for you. You're going to love them. We do that. All that because of God's people being generous in their giving. And so much glory to God because we learn to be generous. Okay, so in the time that's left to us, how do you get ready? We already we see that we, we've got to be ready. Giving is important. It's important to God. Jesus said it was important. If I don't learn to give, it could lead me down some paths I really don't want to go. And if I do learn to give, there's some blessings that I will never know unless I learn to be generous. But more important, and more importantly, God gets so much glory because of our willingness to be generous. And the kingdom is built around the world. So, how do we get ready? Remember, most of us, I think, would love to give. Most of us would say, you know, if I could give a million dollars, I would. I just don't have it. Well, that's great. But what do you do have? The reason that many of us don't give is because we aren't ready. So here we go. Ready. How do we get ready to give? Number one, have the right attitude about giving. And this is where it all starts let me read to you this passage as Paul is, is writing about the, the churches that want to give and see if you can hear the attitude of these churches that desire to give. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace of God that's been given to the Macedonian churches. Remember, he's, he's writing to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth a year ago said, yeah, we really want to give, but haven't given yet. So he's writing back to the church at Corinth saying, okay, uh, you haven't given because you're not ready. We're going to show up. Please be ready. And then he says, but I want to tell you about other churches and what they're doing. The churches in Macedonia. Macedonia was, a, was an area with several churches in it. He says, let me tell you about those people. Ready? We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord 
and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he had early made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Did you catch the attitude of the Macedonian church here? Wow. If you missed it, let's start with maybe the wrong attitude, okay? Here's the wrong attitude if we're, if we're talking about giving. Duty. If this is your attitude, well, you'll know this because sometimes the offering plate goes by or we send out a letter or something that says, hey, there's a need, and you know, oh, not again. Get out the checkbook, Martha! Church is begging for money again. Sometimes um, people look at the church the same way we look at those beggars on the street corners. Just always asking for money. If you're giving out of duty or compulsion or because you feel guilty or because, well, don't give it. I'm, I mean it. And my board probably right now is going, I'm telling you, keep it. You're going to hurt yourself. This is what the Bible says. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So if you're giving under compulsion or if you're giving reluctantly, the Bible says don't do it. Don't do it. And I'm serious about that. This isn't just some sort of ploy. Because I care about you. And if you continue to give under compulsion, if you continue to give out of duty, if you continue to give out of guilt, if you continue to give reluctantly, you will grow to despise God and His church. Because they're ripping you off. And when you despise Him, because all He wants is your money, you can't know Him. And when you can't know Him, you're lost. And I don't want that for you. So if, if this is when the offering plates goes by, when the letters go out, when the, the pleas there, and say, man, we're a little behind. If, if you feel, ah, yeah, keep it. You will hurt yourself. God doesn't really need your money. We're not going bankrupt. Oh, some decisions might have to be made, but we'll make those decisions and God will bless. But what he really needs is just a great relationship with you. And if you let the money get between you and that relationship, don't give it until your attitude can be a little bit better. And you say, uh, well, here's the right attitude then. Well, here's what we want. Here's the right attitude. Ready? The wrong attitude is duty. The right attitude is this. It's a privilege. And you say, come on. Whoever begs, are you kidding? Do you realize I've actually had people sit in my office, sit across the table from me, and beg for the privilege of giving? It's amazing to see. These are people who give all the time. They're generous in their giving. They come in and say, look, God has blessed us. with how We want to give more. Where do you need it? Where, where can you use it? It happens, people. 
There are people who actually see this as such a privilege. Please take the money. Okay. Sure. Because there's always needs. One of these days, maybe I'll look at them and say, you know, I, we don't really need anything. Go give it to the Salvation Army or something. I don't know. But it hasn't happened yet. Simply because there's always some sort of, there's always something out there we want to do. And these people actually come in and say, we want to give more. And these, like I say, are people who are already generous in their giving. It's incredible when you, fee- when you see people who have changed their attitude. It's a privilege. Incredible. But wasn't that what Paul talks about the Macedonian church? He says they begged us for the privilege to give. They wanted to give so much, they gave all that they could and then some. That's what I'm talking about, people, Paul says to the church of Corinth. I'm having to, to, to drag it out of you. It's been a year since you promised that you haven't done anything, so we're going to show up and get it, and you better be ready when we do. But remember, there are other people who are just begging for the privilege to give. And the reason, of course, is because when you give, they understood This is how God blesses the world and this is what gives glory to God as as God's people and God's churches are generous. He gets glory. And they wanted to be part of that. So the first thing is this. You got to have the right attitude if you're going to be ready to give. If you don't have the right attitude, then don't give yet. You are not ready to give. You are not ready to give. And if you're not ready to give, don't give. it'll wind up in bitterness as you write that check or put that money in there thinking you know I could really use that don't do it but for those of us who've gotten to to an attitude of saying this is a privilege we enjoy giving it's wonderful to be able to give then we have to come to this this is the second thing make giving a priority okay because here's the problem. This is the problem in the Church of Corinth. This is the problem with many of us. We want to give. We would love to give. We'd love to give more. But the reason we're not giving more is we haven't made it a priority. We're not ready to give. If we have the right attitude, the desire comes and we want to give as much as we possibly can. The Church of Corinth had the desire. What they lacked was, are you ready? A plan. What's your plan to give? Do you have one? See, the Church of Corinth didn't have a plan. They just had a desire. Oh, to give so much and it was true it was real it was an honest desire but they had no plan to give and that's why paul writes to them and says would you come up with a plan and here's the plan that he gave them by the way he said here's the things i want you to do is first of all i want you to set it aside on the first day of the week i want you to set aside in proportion to your income and i want you to do so joyfully now there's your plan first day of the week Proportion of your income, joyfully, set it aside, and then we're going to show up, and at least it'll be there, is what Paul says to him. you got a great desire. What's your plan? Sitting here, I think 90% of us could take a look at this whole message and go, yes, I'm there. I wish I could give more. I want to give more. And so I would say, okay, what's your plan? Well, that's a little fuzzy. Okay, well, there's our problem. Don't worry about it. God loves you. Everything's fine. Let's come up with a plan. Ready? You're going to have to uh, write these things down because they're not in your sermon. Don't you have to do it the old-fashioned way. Ready? Can you do it? I know you can do it. Here's the first commitment if you really want to give. And first of all, I will plan it in advance. I will plan it in advance. 
I will sit down with my finances and I will plan in advance how much I should be giving and that's what I'm going to plan on. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to plan on it. The biggest mistake that we make, and one of the mistakes that we make, is we don't have a budget. Do you have a budget? Do you know all the money that comes in and where it goes? You would be surprised how many people have no budget. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, okay? But it would be a lot of you, because you don't even know where your money goes. It comes in, it goes out, and at the end of the month, you hope there's enough left over, or you hope that all bills are paid, and you don't even know why. Well, you can't give that way. There's no plan. It doesn't work like that. You have to, in advance, decide what God is asking you to give, and then give. The second thing we're going to have to do, this is my second commitment here, I will give the first fruits and not leftovers. Okay? I'm going to plan it in advance, and then I'm going to give the first fruits. You understand what we mean by first fruits? It means it comes off the top and not at the end. Because if we wait to give it to the end, what happens? It won't be there, will it? <laughs> it's just, that's the way life works. And they were doing that in the Old Testament. They were kind of giving the stuff that, you know, they really didn't want, kind of left over. And God wasn't very pleased with them. Take a look at this passage. This is from Malachi. And when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? See what they're doing? They're giving their leftovers. They kept the best for themselves, and anything that was, you know, that's what they gave to God. Try offering them to a governor. Would he be pleased with you? Ooh. Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. And then, now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. He, look, he said, look, you, you, you think about me last. You spend the best on yourself. You eat the best. And then you take the stuff you really don't want. And you give that to me. And then you say, now bless me, Father. You've got to be kidding I tell you what, I will honor you to the same degree you honor me. How's that? What do you think would happen? I want to be able to give first. That's why I have to have the plan. And this is what I'm going to give. And I make sure that that gets where it needs to go. And then here's the final thing I'm going to have to do. Ready? I will make God-honoring choices about how I spend. God-honoring choices about how I, because let's face it, right now, some of you are sitting there, and you're hearing this, and you know you should be giving more, and there's a desire to give more, but you do have a budget, and every single dime is going somewhere else, isn't it? Because we've spent our money according to the culture, which is, of course, new this, new that, all of this, go in debt. That's just the culture in which we live. And because we've done so, we don't have anything left over. As a matter of fact, every dime that goes in is already spoken for before it comes in. Every dime that comes in is already spoken. You, three months from now, all the money you're going to make in three months is already spoken for. It's already spent because of commitments we've made. We're so in debt now that, that now that we're awakening to the possibility and the need to be generous, for some of it means hard choices. It means that we may have to take a look at our budget and what we have and make some tough choices. It means there may be a few things that we're paying off that maybe need to be sold now and just pay off the debt and live with something less. It means we're going to have to take a look at how we spend all of the money. 
and say, is this really honoring God the way it should? Because this is what Scripture says. Honor God with everything you own. Give Him the first and the best. And your barns will burst and your wine vats will brim over. These are things that Linda and I have had to learn over the years and, and uh, we still look at how we've spent our money and our finances and we see the mistakes that we've made. And, and it's one of the reasons that we have chosen to drive the cars that we drive. Um, I drive a 1998 Sable, Mercury Sable, 170,000 miles, and that's our new car. Actually, no, Linda's got a, what, 2001, but it's got 185,000 miles on it. And they're all beat up, and, but they're paid for. Because I'm looking at my budget going, oh, man, I would love to get a new car, but if I got a new car, where would the money come from? And the only place I could really see would be money that I want to give away, and I want to do that. And so you say, well, but all the maintenance, yeah? This last year, in my Mercury Sable, I had to pay $1,200 for a new brake cylinder, master brake cylinder. And that works out how much over a year? $100 a month? How much you spend on your new car? That'd be my problem. I'd already get a new car, but it'd be a whole lot more than 100 a month. It'd be two, three, or 400 a month, plus the insurance. And I couldn't be as generous as I want to be. So I drive an old car. And one day it'll blow up and I'll go out and find another used car. Now it's just how we've managed our finances. Those are the tough choices we made. Now, you may have other tough choices. You may be able to, to afford, and if you can afford your brand new car and be generous, do it. That's phenomenal. There's nothing wrong with new cars. God doesn't hate new cars. He doesn't hate stuff. He doesn't hate money. If you can maintain your lifestyle and be generous, do it. But if you can't, maybe it's time we looked at our lifestyle. Because generosity and giving, well, those aren't optional. In just a moment, we're going to move into our Selah time, and we're going to take this time as we listen to a great song about giving our lives to the Lord to maybe think about, are there some decisions we have to make? Maybe some of the tough life choices so that we're able to be as generous as God is calling us to be as we plan things in advance, give Him the best, give Him the first, so that we can honor Him. It could be that some things have to go. It could be that we look at this and say, Father, there's, here's what I'm going to do. I, I need to pay this off and then I can give. And, and if you're really in that situation, and some of you may be, just make sure that you do this. Give when you can. Because what will happen is this. When you pay off that car, that will be a boat. And when you pay off the boat, well, then I'll give. How about now? Are there changes that need to be done? First of all, is your attitude right about giving? If it isn't, forget it. Just keep it. Because if the attitude isn't right, none of this makes any difference anyway. But if you want to give, you know we need to give. Father, 
what changes do I need to make to be able to give the way you're calling me to give? Father, thank you so much. And this is hard for us because you know, this is why your son talks so much about this subject because this is